are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In the book of James, for just a few minutes tonight in chapter 1, that's page 1306 in your Scofield Bibles. And if you don't have a Scofield Bible, please try to find it as quickly as possible. First chapter of the book of James, and we'll read several verses from this wonderful part of the Word of God. Beginning of verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Here's a verse that I may say that never a day of my life goes by, but what I claim this sweet and wonderful promise. I try never to go to the pulpit without claiming it. If any man, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You know, you can have heavenly wisdom whether you have education or not. You can have heavenly wisdom whether you're real smart or not. I know, because I've tried it. And here's a wonderful promise of wisdom from above, and that's the greatest knowledge in the world. There's nothing like it. Wisdom from God. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now let's reread just two or three of these wonderful verses. In verse 6, or verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now this is our text. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now there are many illustrations in the Bible of our text tonight, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. There are good many, many tremendous illustrations in the Bible of this. For instance, you read the history of God's chosen people, the Jews, or the nation of Israel. You read where they came just a few days uh, from being delivered by blood, from the bondage and servitude where they'd been for over 400 years in the heathen land of Egypt. They came to a crucial place in their journey, a place called Kadesh Barnea. 
a turning point, a great critical point in God's dealing with them. At Kadesh Barnea, there was a committee appointed, a committee of twelve. It turned out about like most committees in Baptist churches turn out. They went over into the land and spied the land and brought back a report. There was a majority report and a minority report. There were ten of those twelve who said, Now we can't take that land. The villages are strong and walled and well fortified. The people are large and strong and they're many. And we cannot take the land. But there were two men who said they could. Ten who said we'd be not able. Two men who said we are able. We're able because God said he'd give it to us. We're able because God's on our side. We're able because we have supernatural resources. We are able, Joshua and Caleb said. But as so often is the case, people thought, well, the majority are right and the minority are wrong. And so they took the word of the majority instead of the word of the minority, which were right in this instance and in most instances, and they turned back at Kadesh Barnea. There at that place they wept that night. God was displeased with them. And here's a whole, whole nation of people that were double-minded and undecided. And God, that time, at that crucial point in his dealing with them, God turned them back into the wilderness. And God said, with the exception of these two, not one over twenty will ever reach into that promised land. And God turned them back that night. And they wandered for forty years when they were within three days of the blessing God had promised, a land of milk and honey. So you hear, see here a tremendous instance of indecision. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You see this true of some individuals in the Bible. You take, for instance, the prophet Balaam. Balaam is an enigma. Balaam is a paradox. I've never, I've read many times, I've prayerfully read, I've never been able to fully understand Balaam. There were times when it seemed that he arose as high as a prophet could arise. And some of his prophecies had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course they came true. But Balaam had an offer made to him. There was the Moabites and the king of Moab sent and said to Balaam, Curse these people. Pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel. Pronounce a curse on them. And God had given specific directions to Balaam. Balaam knew what God's plan was for his chosen people. But to these men came, and, and Balaam said, Now, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord. He talked awful pious. He, he talked out of both sides of his mouth. But he said, You wait tonight, and you let me pray about it lo a little longer, and then i read. Why, God said, These men come to you again. Go ahead and go with them. But I read that the anger of the Lord was against him because he went. And Balaam was in a state of indecision. You know, there's some things you don't need to pray about. I have people sometimes come to me and say, Now I've been saved. I know that I've been born again. Now I want you to pray with me about whether or not to be baptized. I'm not going to pray about that with anybody. You don't need to waste your best breath praying about that. Go ahead and get baptized if you've been saved. And there's some things you don't pray about. Young man came to me a few weeks ago. Fine young man. Young married fellow. I was preaching down the state of Texas in a conference a couple of years ago. One night at the close of the service he came to me. 
And he said, God called me to preach. There is no doubt about it, he said. God called me to preach. He said, I'm working in this church and I'm serving the Lord. But he said, I haven't finished my training. And he said, that unfinished job looms before me all the time. And he said, I know God wants me to go to school. And I know God wants me to get my, finish my training. And I know God has called me into the ministry. His lips were trembling. God was dealing with him. We spent some time with him and talked with him and prayed with him. The following fall, he entered Midwestern Baptist College. He went there for a year. He learned. He made progress. He grew in the Lord. A few weeks ago, he came to me, and he said, Dr. Malone, I'm going to quit school. He said, I feel like the Lord is leading me to quit school. I said, I don't feel like he is. He said, I feel like he is. I said, I don't feel like he is. He said, I feel like he is. I said, I don't feel like he is. I don't know how long that went on, probably not as long as it's gone on right now. But anyway, I said to him, no, the Lord's not leading you to quit. God sent you here to do a job. God's not leading you to quit. He said, Brother Tom, have you prayed about this? I said, certainly. I've done a lot of praying about whether people ought to quit before the job was done or not. And I don't have to spend any time trying to find out whether God wants you to quit school and give up and go back to the same place where God dug you out a year or so ago. There's some things you don't have to pray about. There are some lines that are already gone and some principles that are already established that are absolutely as unchanging as God himself. And no one needs to pray about those things. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, I, I, I had this illustrated in my life when I was a boy. There was only two, two in our family, two children, my brother and I. My brother, 22 months older, he's not built like I am at all. He's a great big man, over six feet tall, I think six feet two. He's been a great athlete, athlete and a great big old fearless type of a fellow. And I was the runt of the family. My mother's people were targets. Somebody said in Frank County, Alabama, if you'd get the Hargits to vote for you, you could run on any kind of ticket. You could even you could even be elected as a Republican in Franklin County, Alabama, if you could get the Hargits to vote for you. And all of them were big men. I, I never saw a little Hargit man. Never have seen one. And I, I'm, I'm the least man in my family. My cousins were great big old boys. They're over six feet and weigh over 200 pounds and great big men. All of them that just naturally were big men. That was on the little old farm where I was raised uh, until I was saved. That was a, a big ditch. We called it a gully. I don't know how wide it was, probably 10, 12 feet wide, where the rain had gone and the stream had gone for a good many years down through that part of the farm. Now, all the Hargit boys, one thing you had to do to be accepted was to jump that ditch. If you couldn't jump that ditch, you just didn't have it. You weren't a real thoroughbred hearted if you couldn't jump that ditch. Now, my brother could jump it, and all my cousins would jump it. Big, long legs, and back up and get a good running going, and uh, over the ditch they'd go. But I didn't have the courage to try. One day, my brother put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Now, Tom, you can jump that ditch. I said, I can. He said, Yes, you can jump it. He said, now your legs are shorter, but you can work them faster than the rest of us. He said, you can jump that ditch. 
I said, are you sure? He said, I'm positive. He said, it's all in your mind. He said, make up your mind. You can jump that ditch. And he said, you'll jump it just sure as a word. I said, let me see you do it one more time. He got back up on the hill away, got a big long run and go, and just eating up the yards with those big long legs. And he left that bank and sailed right over that ditch. And he came back to me again. He said, now that's how easy it is. You can jump that ditch. I said, now, John, are you really positive? Down in that ditch is all kinds of broken pieces of limestone and gravel. And going along in the banks on either side were blackberry briars and thorny bushes. And I said, now, John, I don't want to make a mistake about this thing. I want to know now, do, are you kidding me? Do you really believe I can jump that ditch? The time I know you can. He said, you're fast. He said, you, you move your legs quicker. And he said, you don't have to be long-legged. You just got to make up your mind. You can jump it. And I said, all right, if you say so. He was a great big old guy, and he was usually right. He always proved he was right to me. And so I said, all right, I'm going to jump that ditch. So I got up there and started where he started. I ran as fast as I could go, and with every step I ran, I said, I can jump that ditch. John told me I could. I know I can. And just as I reached the departing point, something within me said, you can't jump that ditch. And sure enough, I didn't. I landed right in the middle. Listen, there are not enough band-aids in Murfreesboro, Tennessee to have covered up all the scratches that were on me and when they got me out of that gully. My brother said, Tom, you were doing fine. You had it made. And all of a sudden, something happened. He said, what happened to you? I said, John, I changed my mind. That's what happened to me. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, let me say to you tonight, you know anybody that's ever walked with the Lord and sought to do anything for the Lord has had to battle against discouragement. But let me say to you tonight, in spite of all the ministry of the Word of God to the believer's heart to overcome fear, to keep him encouraged, to make him know that with God all things are possible, in spite of all of this, you know God doesn't deal real kindly with discouragement. God doesn't deal kindly with people who want to quit. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's what God says. You notice some instances of it. You take old Elijah. Oh, I read of Elijah and my heart thrills. That mighty man of God who stood alone and the fire of the prophets of Baal and stood yonder on Mount Carmel and with about five dozen words in a few seconds got the windows of heaven open and the fire of God to fall. But what does he do? A woman sends a message to him and says, but this time to my head like you got the head of my prophets, my preachers of Baal. Elijah does the strangest thing. Now he feared nothing. He had been as bold as a lion but at this word, he runs yonder in the wilderness. He sits down under a juniper tree. The angel of the Lord ministers to him. He wakes him up, and there's a coal of fire and a cruise and some things to remind him of how God had never failed him. One time God had never forsaken him. In spite of it all, 
Elijah said, I'm all alone. He got a persecution complex. Listen, don't ever get that. Don't ever get that. I know fundamentalists run around on the country saying, everybody's against me. No, no, not everybody's against you. It wouldn't make any difference if they were, if God is for you. He got a persecution complex. I don't know what happened to him. He came apart at the seams. He said, I, I just might as well die. He got a suicidal complex. I don't know what happened to him. I guess he had a nervous breakdown. Said, I'm all done. I'm all washed up. I can't go any further. I'm all alone. God said there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You know, I've often thought one reason Elijah maybe wasn't conscious of those 7,000. They weren't hollering loud enough. And they weren't taking a stand like they ought to have taken it. Maybe Elijah didn't know that they existed. But anyway, here's this mighty man of God. And God says to Elijah, all right, two things I want you to do. Anoint a man to be a king. And there's an old country boy out yonder plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I'm putting him in your place. Let me tell you tonight, God will for his servants are. Don't, don't live under the circumstance. You better stay out from under that juniper tree. God said, I've got a man to take your place right now. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, God says. You take the case of Jonah. Jonah was having racial problems. God sent him to the city of Nineveh. If you could have, sit, if you could have seen Jonah when the Lord got through with him, you would have seen him with a, one of these big college sweaters on it. And on the front of it would have been W.U. That stands for Wales University. And he'd been to it. He'd had the full course. And now he's on his way. He goes to that city and preaches and a revival comes. And you'd think there's every reason in the world God had vindicated his word. God had proven himself to him. There's every reason in the world for this man to be shouting happy and victorious in his ministry. But he goes and sits down under a gold vine. Now I've read where some commentators have said that gold vine actually was the vine that you, you make uh, castor oil out of. And here he's sitting under a gold vine and said, I'm, I just might as well die. Pouting at the world. Can't get along with the board of deacons. People won't do what I tell them to do. They don't pay me enough anyhow. I might as well just quit. You know, it might have been if the Lord had given him a dose of that stuff out of that vine and done him about as much good as anything else. And here he sat under a gourd vine. And God was not pleased with him. Let me tell you, God is not pleased with preachers who give up. Thank God there's a way out. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Some of the sweetest experiences of my life have been the hard experiences of my life. When I was saved as a country boy in overalls and tennis shoes and a blue denim work shirt down here in North Alabama raised on a little red clay farm, when the Lord saved me, he was good enough to me to call me to preach and to get me to Bob Jones College, it was then, down in Cleveland, Tennessee. Now, a fellow got me there. I smoked cigarettes. 
I had a, a sack of bull in my pocket all the time. That was a part of my equipment. Why, if I didn't have a sack of bull down, that little tag hanging out on the yellow string, I was half-dressed. I was embarrassed. I wouldn't have been caught out of the house without a sack of bull down. I was a cigarette smoker. And this fellow, he didn't tell me, now you can't smoke when you go to Bob Jones. There's a fellow told me after I got there, and brother, I'll never forget how he told me. I'll show you how tactfully he told me. I mean, just as tactful and sweet as it could be, he was a great big man who was 54 years old then. And I didn't know that he knew that I had tobacco in my pocket in the first chapel service at Bob Jones College. I didn't know he knew that. I didn't know anybody searched me but a great big old man across the cross that platform and said, you dirty little cigarette smoker. Here you go, your cigarettes go. I said, my star, somebody's talked to him already and I haven't been here ten minutes. So, as soon as I could get down the street a ways, I parted with the last sack of bullworm I've ever carried. Because that man so tactfully let me know that I wasn't supposed to smoke it there. I was in the Methodist church, and so the sliding elder of our district sent for me to come home, and he said, we're going to license you to preach. Now, nothing in the Bible about licensing people to preach. I didn't know that then. So they had a committee, and this committee said, now, there are certain books you're supposed to have read. Have you read them? Yes. And I don't remember one of them. That's how much they impressed me. Then one of these big fat Methodists said, Now, Tom, if you're going to get anywhere in the Methodist conference, you can't go to school like Bob Jones College. And you can't follow a man like Bob Jones. You're going to have to go to a denominational school if you're going to ever get anywhere in Methodism. You know, I never thought of that before. I never thought of getting somewhere in Methodism before. All I've thought of, I've been saved, I've been called to preach, I have the Bible, I don't know much about it, but it's there. I have God! I know that God is with me! And he said, now, one more year, then you go to denominational school. I made up my mind that I would walk with God no matter what the cost. A double-minded man! is unstable in all of his ways. That's what the Bible says. And if you're double-minded about the things of God, God says you're no good anywhere. You're unstable in all of your ways if you're double-minded. You know, when the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is a wonderful thing every preacher ought to completely absorb. In the book of Galatians, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 15, but it, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. Now listen to it. I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul said, I didn't have any meetings with anybody. And the next verse tells why. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Paul said, when I got... When I got saved and I knew God had called me to preach, I conferred not with flesh and blood. And I don't believe God means for any preacher to be under the jurisdiction of flesh and blood. And there are a lot of preachers that are double-minded. There are a lot of Christians that are double-minded. 
Let me tell you, if the people that profess to be saved in this country would take their stand against wrong and stand on Bible principles, it'd make it hard for some of these denominations that have gone wrong. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, there are many things, and my time is, is practically up, but there are many things, many things, that you need to get settled until it's absolutely as unalterable in your heart as the Bible itself. First of all, how many people all know what to believe? I preached on the radio every day in our city for 19 and a half years until the station that was on move clear out of town moved down the city of Detroit. One morning I came out of the, out of the radio station and I saw a, a Pentecostal preacher uh, standing out there and and God bless him, I had a lot of fellowship with him. I have a lot of fellowship with somebody that believes the Bible, even if I don't see it just like he does, and don't interpret it like he does, if he believes something, but it's the fellow that denies something that I can't fellowship with. And he's out there striking his thighs and having the time of his life laughing all by himself. And I said, um, A.J., what the world are you laughing about? He said, I just spoke to a fellow here. I said, about what? He said, I started talking to him about about the Lord and asked him if he's a Christian. And I said, uh, finally said to him, what do you believe? And he said, the fellow said, well, I believe what my church believes. And he said, I said to him, what does your church believe? And he said, well, if my church believes, same thing I believe. And he said, that's all I could ever get out of it. And that's all a lot of folks know about. It. Now, God says in his word, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. I believe people that really read the Bible and really want the truth and really believe the truth know the Herbert W. Armstrong and the rights of them when they hear them. And I believe good people and God's people and Bible people can't be moved around with just any old new doctrine that comes along. I'll tell you, we need to look at some of these things like a calf at a new gate and examine them in the light of the Word of God. And I read, but, but, but henceforth we no more be as children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. I had a deacon in my church, God bless him, in Brother John Howden. In the early days of Emmanuel Baptist Church, my, how much he meant to me and to that church. Brother John Howden came to me one time and he said, uh, he had a wonderful family. I think he had three or four children who went to Bob Jones College and were educated in Christian schools. And they were a wonderful family. One day John Howden said to me, he said, you know my family and I have a little difference of opinion. And he said, I want to ask you what you think. He said a fellow came to our door and he's one of these Jehovah's Witnesses and he said, uh, when I found out what he was, I said, no, you're not coming in my house. You're not welcome in my house. I won't let you in my house. You're not coming in my house. And you just go on off of my porch right now. And he said, my girls and my wife and my boy said to me, now, Daddy, you're discourteous and you're not right and you ought not to do that. And he said, Brother Tom, I want to ask you what you think. And he and I got to the Bible and we read again together from the second epistle of John. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
You know, in a few short years, after Jesus had walked among men publicly for three years, had wrought many miracles, had done many mighty things, had died on the cross, had arisen from the grave, already people are saying, well, he wasn't even here in the flesh in the first place. They even were denying that already. And John said, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we wrought, but that we receive a full reward. For whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And here it is. If thy children will wind up the same place anyway. No, I'm not going to. I don't plan to. If there's a fellow going to heaven didn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, I'd ask the Lord if there wasn't somewhere else I could go. And God said, for he that admitteth in God's feet is a partaker of his evil deeds. And you might as well be a modernist as to condone one. And to, con and to cooperate with one. You might as well be one. God said, if you bid in God's feet, you're a partaker of his evil deeds. Listen, we got so many pussyfooters. People talking out of both sides of their mouth. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I believe, bless God, a person ought to take the Bible and go over the Bible. They tell me in the olden days of the Roman Empire, there was a certain stone in the middle of the old Roman form. And no matter which way a road went, the miles were measured from that one stone. And when out yonder on some Roman highway, it gave so many miles, it meant it's so many miles from that stone. That's the starting place. And whatever this Bible says is true. And we need to stand by the Bible if we accept, expect the Bible to stand by us. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, I see people in the Bible that were, un, were indecisive even about the matter of prayer. You take, for instance, in the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, Peter was in jail. Now, Peter lay down and went to sleep. I used to wonder why in the world he could just go to sleep in jail. Now, some things had happened that would have caused me concern, I'm sure. First of all, James's head had just been cut off. So Simon Peter surely couldn't have said, now they're probably just teasing about this. He knew better than that. He knew better than that. But he lay down and went to sleep. One day Jesus had told Simon Peter, when you're old, they'll... they'll bind you and lead you and so forth. And Simon Peter's not reached old age yet. And so he lay down that night and went to sleep. But the Bible says prayer was made uh, of the church for the deliverance of Peter. And down at the home of, of John Mark, they're having a prayer meeting. Right in the midst of it all, praying fervently, I suppose, there was a little girl that was sleeping. She wasn't paying much attention. Her name was Rhoda. She goes to the door and she looks out and somebody's out there rattling the gate and won't in. She turned around and said, it's Peter! Be quiet. Peter's in jail. We've been praying here for Peter to be delivered. I tell you, it's the gate! They said, be quiet, you're disturbing the prayer meeting. We're asking the Lord to deliver Peter. She said, I tell you, he's out at the gate! Listen, I believe God answers prayer. Folks say to me, do you believe God can do miracles like that now? Yes, I sure do. I believe with all my heart we have a miracle working God. I believe tonight 
God can do anything in the world that needs to be done for you. A lot of times people say to me, do you believe in divine healing? I don't think there's any other kind. I sure do. For 13 weeks, I could not speak clear enough some years ago so a person could understand my name. The finest physician in the Midwest said to me, Tom, you're not going to be able to preach again. You may write, you may do other things, but your preaching is done. I have left his office in downtown Detroit, and with my heart beating and throbbing and the tears rolling down my face, I went to my home, and my wife and I stood in our, in our living room, and I let her know what the doctor had said. And she said, but Tom, we have a God that knows better than that doctor. Down on our knees we went, and thanks be unto God, God delivered me. And for these years, in spite of the doctor saying, you cannot possibly preach again, I've been preaching eight and ten times a week. Listen, I believe in miracles tonight. And I'm preaching to somebody tonight who needs a miracle in their life. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching to somebody tonight that's under a juniper tree, under the door vine, and complaining against God. I believe God is greater than all of your problems. You need to make up your mind. God can answer prayer. You know the reason some folks don't know it? They don't get on praying ground, as the old-fashioned country people used to say. You get a life cleaned up and a heart clean until you can look God in the face with a clear conscience and claim the promises, and God will do for you what needs to be done. But a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A lot of Christians say, well, I just want the will of the Lord. So do I. You know, I think God lets us help make up his mind sometimes what the will is. And I believe God answers prayer and God changes things. And God changes people and God changes situations. And un- a man undecided in the matter of prayer is an unstable man. And then, hardly, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When his attitude about the things of the world are not completely settled. You know, Jesus made it pretty clear. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot, Jesus said it, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and and uh, be in the world at the same time. You can't belong to everything and serve God. Some preachers think they got to belong to all the clubs. The moose and the mice and the lions and the civitans and the bears and the masons and the whole ball of wax. I never joined but two things in my life. I joined up with Mrs. Tom Malone 31 years ago and I, I never regretted that. And I joined the Manual Baptist Church as a charter member. I just about had to join that because I started the church. And outside of that, I've been the poorest joiner you've ever seen in your life. Double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. You've got to make up your mind you're against liquor and picture shows. You've got to make up your mind you're against worldliness and preach against it. 
and holler loud about it and take your stand. Say, why well, I'd lose some of my church members. I had a preacher tell me one time, he said, why, uh, Brother Tom, if I'd preach like you, my people run me off. I said, my dear brother, I may have some shocking news for you. I hear some rumblings about it anyway. You might as well go ahead and shoot both barrels and get run off for a good reason instead of a poor one. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In 28 years, my wife and I have come to love so many wonderful people in our church. Love them just like Love them like they were members of our family. We had a man in our church named Caleb Lamper. Caleb Lamper, sick in the hospital, and I'd go call on him. And uh, one night his wife called me and says, Caleb wanted me to have you come out the house. I went out and there's Caleb Lamper on his sick bed. And uh, I walked up to his bed and he said, Mother Tom, I'm going home tonight. I didn't know how he knew, but... I wasn't even sure he knew, but he talked like he knew. He said, I'm going home tonight. And he said, I want you to know how much I've loved you and loved the church and loved your preaching and loved the singing. And, oh, it's been my life, he said, Emmanuel Baptist Church. He said, I won't see you anymore now. I'm going home tonight. And I prayed with him and got in the car and went back home. Sure enough, about three, three o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and Mrs. Lamper said, Brother Tom... Daddy's just gone home. Will you come back out? She said, the undertaker's not even here yet. I said, I'd be glad to. I got up and dressed and drove out about eight, ten miles out of the city to the lamp for home again. And he was still laying there in his bed. And, and they'd taken her and the grown children into another room. And, and uh, they were trying to console her. They'd been married over 50 years. And she said, Brother Tom, I want to kiss Daddy goodbye. Would you go with me yonder into the room one more time? And I said, I would. We went and she reached down and she kissed his cold, lifeless face. And she turned back to me and she said, Tom, that's the best man I've ever known in all my life. She said Daddy was never interested in anything but his home and his family and the work of the Lord. She said when he lost his teeth, said he, thought, well now, I'm going to be awfully embarrassed of going out in public. Said it didn't fit good. And she said, we laughed at him a little bit when he got his new teeth. And said, um, he'd carry him in a handkerchief until he got to church. And said, last thing before we get out of the car, he'd put his teeth in. Soon as you got through preaching, church all would take him out and put him in a handkerchief, put him back in his pocket. But he said, I'm going to go to church. And he'd sit on the edge of his seat. And he loved the singing and the preaching. And there lay, and she said, that is the best man I've ever known. After a while, they came with a big basket, and they put a sheet over him, and I stood in the room, and they put him in a big long basket, and took him out and put him in the earth. And I said, wait just a minute before you leave. I knew them. I knew them. I'd preached dozens of funerals out of that funeral home. And I went and had prayer with the family again. And about four o'clock in the morning, driving back along the road, about ten miles out of the city of Pontiac, Following those two purple headlights on that big hearse that carried the body, the lifeless body of a good man. I thought, if there's ever been a man that was a success, there goes one. His name never got in any papers. But when he died, his family believed in him. And when he went home to be with the Lord, everybody said,
He loved Jesus and there was never a doubt about his stand. I said, that's success. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now, Father, tonight we pray that I will speak to our hearts. And Lord Jesus, help us with some of the great decisions we grapple with and wrestle with. And Lord, help us to look to you to confer not with flesh and blood, but with the Lord himself at the throne of grace. Give us wisdom and leadership and understanding and courage and usefulness and fruitfulness and determination to be single-minded about serving the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org.